0: Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We've been looking at some of the different uses in God's word of this word, pillar. It's a journey the Lord started me on about three and a half years ago. Week number one, we talked about the pillar being synonymous with God's presence. Then in week two, last week we talked about the pillar leading God's people, that he led his people from the pillar of cloud by day to the pillar of fire by night. This weekend we're talking about one of the questions that I seem to get asked as a pastor most consistently, and that question typically goes something like this. How do I hear God's voice? If you've got a Bible I want you to open up to, Psalm 99, put a marker in 1 Kings 19, we'll get there about the middle of the message, And I want you to hear the title of this message, and it might catch you some kind of way, but I'm trying to kind of prove a point with the title of this message based off of how much I get asked this question. Hearing God is easy. It is easy. Now, I know some of you come with the question saying, you you kind of preempt the question by saying, I just have such a hard time hearing God's voice. How do I hear God's voice? It's so hard I get that that's how you think, but I I just want you to understand, Jesus actually went on record and talked about how easy it is to hear God's voice. And I, I, I need you to know how badly I want this for you. If you're a parent, your children need you to hear God's voice. If you're a spouse, your spouse needs you to hear God's voice. If you're a CEO, everyone you work with needs you to hear God's voice. If you're a child of God, all of the people who do not yet know Jesus in your life need you to hear God's voice. On behalf of everyone in your life, may I please appeal to you on their behalf. We need you to hear God's voice. And no matter what you think, hearing is easy. Let's connect pillar and and God's voice. Psalm 99 verse seven says, God spoke to Israel from the pillar. So here we see his voice coming from the pillar. So we see the word pillar in scripture connected to God speaking. He's the God who speaks. And let me at the very beginning of this message give you a theological certainty. It it is inarguable, not in my opinion, it is inarguable. It is a theological certainty. Here it is. Jesus went on record and he said this. His sheep hear his voice. Let me show it to you. John chapter 10 verse 27. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. We talked about the following last week. Jesus did not say my sheep can hear my voice. There's an implied do here. He said, my sheep do hear my voice. Let me say it like this, every child of God already hears the voice of God. The question isn't, can I hear God's voice? The question is, how confidently can I distinguish his voice from all the others? That's what you're actually saying. If if you are a follower of Jesus, you already hear his voice. Okay, so let's just establish something else. Too many of you look in my direction as an under-shepherd, you think I'm a shepherd. He's the shepherd, I'm an under-shepherd. I work for the chief shepherd. Too many of you look in my direction thinking, well, he hears God the way he does because he's a shepherd. No, 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 no. No, you need to understand. I hear God's voice because I'm a sheep. Bah. <laughs> I'm a sheep, bro. Yes, my vocation is an under-shepherd. But that's not why I have the ability to hear God's voice. It's just because I'm a sheep who's dedicated or tried to dedicate a decent amount of time in his life to improving my ability to hear his voice. It's something I want to be an expert in. When you hear that, that phrase, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. When I was younger, I used to think I needed to Talk or preach for 10,000 hours to become an expert preacher. And then I met Robert Preston Morris, and he taught me the most important thing about being a preacher is first being a hearer. We're going to talk about that in the Leader's Cut in just a little bit. The children of God already hear the voice of God. Jesus locked that down for us. We don't need to wrestle over it. We hear his voice. Now, since if you're a follower of Jesus, you hear his voice. I want to give you some very practical ways. I'm not trying to inspire you with this message. Last week, we kind of talked about the why of us being led by the Lord. This week, we're not talking about a why. We're talking about what. If I want to hear God's voice more clearly and be able to distinguish it from all the other voices that distract me in my life, What are some things I can do to hear God's voice more clearly? I believe there's some practical things you and I can do to make it even easier to hear his voice. You ready to go on this little journey together? Okay. We're going to cover three things in this sermon. Then on the leader's cut, we're going to cover three extra things. Here's the first thing. If you want to hear God's voice more clearly than you ever have before, here's step number one. Address the elephant in the room. You want to hear his voice clearly? Address the elephant in the room. Here's what I mean by that. Confession. Let's talk about the confession of sin. and try and paint the picture when you go in to be alone with the God of the universe, just the two of you and wherever that secret place so happens to be. I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but have you ever gone into his presence and felt there was kind of this awkwardness? Now, I'm sure you're perfect, and so you've never had this happen to you. I've had it happen plenty of times. Where I go in expecting conversation, and I get crickets. I had to learn. It's a little bit like in my marriage. If I've done something wrong, Holly saw me do that something wrong, and then I take her out for date night, and I sit across the table from her and try and pretend like nothing happened. Here's what I've learned about Holly and Campbell Morrison. She will look back at me like this. Are you good, bro? This is what she'd say. Are you good? Like, are you you not going to address what I saw you do, what I heard you do, that you know was wrong? Are we not even going to talk about this, or are you going to pretend like it didn't happen? Until I own up to the wrong I have done, there's going to be a little bit of iciness on the other side of the line until I make it right. Let me say it like this. Expect silence from God when you are silent about your sin. I kind of give you a fun way to hear this. When God gets crickets from you when he expects confession, you should expect crickets from him when you hope for conversation. I learned this one the hard way. I want to give you a little bit of advice as it relates to confession. I didn't know this early on. But some of the best moments we've had together happen right after I confess my sin to him. Now you might be thinking the way God set this up theologically is that he designed it so that we would have to confess because he wants to embarrass us. This is not true. He's not trying to embarrass me by forcing me to confess. He's trying to remove any and every obstacle that gets in the way of intimate fellowship between the two of us and sin does that very thing. And while I try and hide it, it just creates more distance between the two of us. One of the ways we show him we want to be intimately connected to him is it grieves us when we sin. And we feel like, I've gotta make this right. Lord, we gotta talk about this. I'm gonna give you some advice if you're gonna go down this path. I know I'm jumping you into the deep end of the pool, starting with the confession of sin to create more intimacy in your relationship with god but if you're going to do this if you're crazy enough to do it let me give you some advice be specific don't be general don't be vague let me show you where i see this genesis chapter 3 verse 11 the first sin look at the questions god asks question number one god says where are you okay i've already taught on this before i don't think that was a locational question god knows everything and he is everywhere But the second question, watch what he says in verse 11. He says to Adam, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Okay, that's specific. Question number three, verse 13, he says, what have you done? General, not specific. He's specific before he's general. But how many of us, when we've sinned and we know we need to confess to the Lord, how many of us go in general and vague first just to see how he responds, and then if we have to, we get specific. Let's just go back to date night. Let's talk about how that would go, okay? How would it go over with my wife? If she saw that wrong thing that I did, she knows it was bad, and then I I sit down with her and I say, hey listen, it feels like there's a little something between us right now, I just want to address the elephant in the room. If I did something you were hurt by, I just want you to know I'm sorry. Okay, you may not know my wife very well. That deserves a slap. (laughs) If we both know, you know what I did was wrong and I know what I did was wrong, and yet I vaguely say to you in a condescending way, if something I did hurt you, I just want to apologize. If you were hurt by what I did, do you know how passive aggressive that is? By the way, if you ever talk like that, It's like saying to your spouse, if you're so weak that you were hurt by the wrong I did, I'm sorry you're you. That's what you're actually saying. Holla at your boy, I'm just telling you. That's what that actually means. If you're so weak, I'm sorry that you're weak. No, 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 be specific. I'll, I'll give you an example. And some of you might think that I should be further along than this. I probably should. Last week on Saturday, I go in to be alone with the Lord. Earlier in the week, I've been upset about something. I did something. It was wrong. I sinned. I go in. And here was my thought. I'm not telling you it's right. I'm just being uber transparent to tell you where I was at. I had the thought. If I confess this, my punishment, this message is going to be terrible. What a stupid thought, okay? But I'm just telling you what I was thinking. If I confess this right now in his presence his punishment for me is going to be to embarrass me with this sermon. I don't know where that thought came from. He didn't even talk like that. I'm just telling you. That's how I was thinking. So then I confessed it and I was specific. I didn't just say specifically what I did. I dug even deeper and said, and I want you to know why I did it. And I'm not excusing it. I'm exposing why I did it. This is how specific I'm getting. I thought, He he would reject me when I did it. But I I wanna show you this. The more specific your confession, the more contrite your heart. When you can deal with the wrong you've done specifically before God, I think it opens up the line of communication even more. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. I thought he would reject me when I confessed. I thought he would publicly punish me. Do you know what he did? He received me in such a way, and I told you this last week, he received me in such a way that when I was supposed to go home and get ready, get changed, I literally felt him say, just stay. Not not only did he not reject me, he received me so intimately, he said, don't leave right now. Just stay here for the rest of the night. I think it's the enemy that tries to convince us when we confess, God will reject. He receives. When we repent, when we confess, when we don't run in the opposite direction trying to hide our sin from God, he receives us. Here's the second thing. He refreshes you when you confess. Acts three nineteen and 20. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then, verse 20 says, then, after doing this, times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Did you know when you confess your sin to God, not only does he receive you, he refreshes you. Why? Why does he want us to confess? It's simple. There's an intimate why behind God's desire for us to confess. Sin is a behavior that moves in the opposite direction of God. That's the last thing he wants. He's not trying to get you to be perfect. He's trying to get you to be intimate. He sent his son because you're imperfect. So that you might have the benefits eternally of perfection that only Jesus could pull off on this earth. It's an intimate why. Sin moves in the opposite direction of the Father. He wants you to come closer. And isn't it amazing that when we confess, he draws us in even near. And scripture says, and then times of refreshing. Think about this. If you're exhausted, worn out, overwhelmed, feeling disconnected from God, I'm gonna give you a crazy idea. Go into his presence privately and just start confessing your sin and just see what he does. Brad said it in the welcome. Maybe you're here. This is the first time you've ever been in church. And you think God is ready, waiting to strike you with lightning in the middle of this service to expose all of the sin you've done. Well, let me just tell you there's a better chance of him striking me first than striking you. He's not the God who shuns, he's the God who draws near. He's not trying to expose you. He's trying to be intimate with you. But when we both know I've done something wrong and I refuse to admit it, to confess it, I should expect crickets until I make it right by exposing it. Here's the second thing. If you want to hear God's voice more clearly than you ever have, point number two, stop talking. I was so guilty of this back in the day. Early on in our relationship, I talked way too much. I'm not going to lie. I kind of had the thought, I don't know if you know this, Lord, but the day will come where you pay me to talk. And so that must mean that it's important for me to talk. Can you imagine how stupid this is to go into the presence of the God of the universe thinking it's more important for you to talk than to be spoken to? Welcome. Here I am. I stand before you, a fool in the hands of a gracious God. Stop talking. One of the things you learn about intimate conversation, you're either the one talking or you're the one listening. But you can't be both at the same time. So let me pose an important question to you. As it relates to your relationship with God, which gets you more excited? The ability to be heard by God or the ability to hear God? Which one gets you antsy? Which one keeps you up at night? That the God of the universe hears you or that the God of the universe loves to speak to you? Jesus taught this. Jesus actually taught when the disciples said, teach us to pray. He actually teaches in Matthew 6, one of my favorite chapters in scripture. He teaches us. Here's my prayer phrase. He tells us to shut up. That might challenge some of you. I'll read to you, Matthew 6, verse 7. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on and on, Preston. Don't do it. You have a chance to hear from the God of the universe. It's okay to speak, but know when to be silent. Know when to stop talking. There's this funny moment in the book of Job. Job is on, he's on one. And he's just, he's upset with the Lord. And he's just railing. And then in, in Job chapter 40, my paraphrase, God steps into this conversation and he goes, okay, cupcake, you want to talk? I got some questions for you. And the moment was clearly so holy. This is what Job does. i right He knew. When the God of the universe steps in on me, And start speaking to me the wisest thing I can do is shut my mouth you want to hear his voice more stop treating him like a genie in the bottle where the only time you talk to him is when you need something from him again let's go back to my marriage how would that go how's that gonna go if on every date night all I talk about is Hey, uh, just so you know, I need this from you, and I need this from you, and I need this from you, and I'm not really getting this from you, and I'm a little bit bothered by it, so I need this from you twice as much as you think. How are we going to do at the end of that date night? We ain't going to do anything. <laughs> I'm tell you that. Why? Because I'm treating her like a genie whose role is to do whatever I want done. How do you know you feel that way about God? Most of the statements you make end with question marks. God, will you do this for me? God, can you do this? Listen, we need to take our petitions before the Lord. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just telling you, don't let the majority of your time be asking for things you need. Stop talking. Let him begin to speak. Now, I want to show you a couple things. If you really are going to dial up his voice, I want to show you the frequency and the volume, okay? The frequency for God's voice, as though it were like a radio station, the frequency is stillness, not craziness. I'll tell you from experience, it's challenging to hear God speak when you are running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Psalm 46, verse 10. God says, be still, James Preston Morrison. Stop running around. Be still and know that I am God. Why does God say be still? I think it's because it's difficult to see God move when you're so busy being on the move. So let me just challenge you with something. Take a look at your weekly calendar. Two buckets. Essential, non-essential. Non-negotiable, negotiable. Take a look at your calendar and let's see how much of the stuff you do is actually a necessity. And let me, let me put it another way. Let's see how much of what we do God says is a necessity. Because I think some of us feel like this is just some thing that makes us cool and important when someone asks us how we're doing and we're able to respond by going, oh, I'm so worn out. We have so much on our calendar. I always laugh when people talk like that to me. Like, do you even actually know what you look like when you talk like that? Do you know how much more God wants to do in your life? And you're letting me know that you're worn out by first grade when he's trying to take you to 12th grade? You probably shouldn't talk like that. I'm just telling you. Because I think if I sat down with you and said, okay, well, let's just take a look. Number one, I think you have more time than you think. And number two, in my opinion, you're probably wasting some time doing some things you've convinced yourself are necessity when God says they're non essential. I just, I don't have enough bandwidth. I don't have enough time in my day to spend alone time with the Lord. Preston, you get paid to do it. (laughs) I love that one. So you're calling me a spiritual prostitute? (laughs) Let me spin it another way. I do what I do because I love it and I found a way to be able to do it even more. And that was to devote my life to it. And I want this for you. He wants it for you, that's why I want it for you. But you have to slow down and be still because the frequency of his voice is stillness, not craziness. Here's the second thing. The volume of God's voice is a whisper more than a holler. If you put a marker in 1 Kings 19, flip over there. Let's read it together. This is a holy moment between Elijah and God. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard the whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave why he knew god was in the whisper if you're taking notes this is my favorite one-liner of this message why does god whisper more than he shouts because a whisper demands the hearer to be nearer some of y'all are so angry with god right now because you don't feel like he's shouting his will for your life there's an intimate why behind his lack of shouting He is wooing you because he wants to be closer to you. That's why I think we should look and go, "It's actually amazing he doesn't shout, peering over the balcony of heaven every time he speaks to us. He's the God who wants to be close. When my wife and I have pillow talk, we don't shout. I can whisper. Because in that moment, no one is closer to me than she is. Have you ever seen it as a compliment that God doesn't shout to you, but that he whispers? That's a divine compliment. Every time he whispers to you, he's sending the message, baby, come here. I want to be close to you. God will fill the void your stillness and silence creates with either movement or a message. Here's the third thing. This, for me personally, I'm not saying this is the way, this is a way. For me, this is kind of a silver, silver bullet that says it's just seemed to, to work over the years in our relationship. If you wanna hear God's voice more clearly, obsess over his word. And very quickly, I wanna give you three things that will help you understand whether or not you're obsessing over his word. Number one, you value God's word. You know you obsess over God's word when you value God's word. Psalm 119, verse 72. Your instructions are more invaluable to me, God, than millions in gold and silver. This is speaking of the word. Verse 162, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. One of the things I miss about my setup now, I office over here behind the stage, the rest of, of the team is at our, our office location, and I intentionally don't office over there because I just get too distracted. And, and I, I love being around, but, but I, 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 if I get distracted, time is wasted for me. And so I hole up in, in my cave that the Lord's allowed me to have, okay? But, but here's the deal. Back in the day, when I used to office around everybody else, I would be alone, I'd be studying, and the Lord would reveal something to me and I would dart out of my office and be like, "You, Brooke will tell you this, I'll be like, you gotta hear this, you gotta hear this. I didn't even understand what I was doing in that moment. But I was sending a message to the Lord. Every time you talk to me, this is how I'm gonna behave. Like, are you kidding? When was the last time God spoke something to you? And you had to just go grab somebody and be like, I got to tell you what the creator of the universe just told me. Do you think I behave this way because I get paid to behave like this? I'm a little boy obsessed with his daddy. And when my daddy speaks, something in me triggers and explodes and I cannot control myself. Because he is the God of the universe and I am not. And I still haven't gotten over the fact that he would ever say anything to me. And so when he does... I rejoice. Okay, question. Do you think the God of the universe is going to go crickets on you when every time he speaks to you, you rejoice? You celebrate it. Every time he speaks to me, I feel like I won the lottery. You know what you would look like if you won the lottery today? Imagine if you look down at your phone. There are a few people in this room right now who, if they looked down their phone and they saw the winning numbers that were on their ticket and they just became a human with $700 million, I don't think you'd be able to contain it. I think it would either feel like the price is right, you know, where you just jump up and you're like, ah! why? Because you value. The information you just received that you won a huge sum. Okay, here's what David is saying in God's word. That's how you should act every time the God of the universe speaks to you. This is what it looks like to obsess over his word. When you treasure what he's already said, you'll hear him say things he's never said. I'm not talking about extra biblical content. Okay, so please don't assume that what I'm saying is when I feel like God speaks to me, I put that equal to his word, I do not. I I have not been given the divine ability to hear inerrantly. That's why I say, I felt the Lord say. Because I'm acknowledging, I could be wrong. I'm an imperfect human. My batting average is never gonna be perfect. So I have to admit that. I'm a man in process. Having said that, while I'm not talking about extra biblical content, I am talking about extra intimate communication. When you prize what he's already said, don't be surprised when you keep hearing him say things you've never heard him say before. He's the perfect steward, he's looking for people who will treasure his word, and to those, he absolutely gives more of his word to them. Here's the second thing. You know you're obsessed with God's word when you lean on God's word. Psalm 119, verse 143, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in pills. I find joy in booze. I find joy in sex with people I'm not married to. I find joy when pressure and stress are bearing down on me. I find joy in shopping using money I don't actually have. That is not what King David said. He said, when pressure and stress bear down on me, I have made the choice to find joy in your commands. I run to your book. Stress is a test to see where you lean when you feel weighed down. This is a gift from the Lord. I go back to the early days when we started this church. The first couple months, uh, it was one, one service. We'd already packed everything up. We were set up tear down every week, the Performing Arts Center. And the weather had turned good, and it was that time of year. And I remember one weekend, everybody had left And I just went and sat in the Civic Plaza in the park area with my Bible and just kind of vented to the Lord. And I I was just frustrated. And I was letting it fly. And I felt the Lord say, Preston, stop focusing on what you can see. You are focused on what you can see. And I never told you faith comes by seeing. I said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Preston, stop focusing on what you can see. Remain focused on what I've already said. This is one of the reasons I prize God's voice because it got me through one of the toughest seasons of my life. Nothing added up, but he had said. kept relying on his word. His promise wasn't that things would blow up one day. His promise was that he would be with me every day. Preston, you're too focused on what you can see. This walk with me is a walk of faith. Here's how faith works. Close your eyes. Follow the sound of my voice. I told you Scottsdale, stop counting the empty chairs. I am in this room. And as long as I'm here, don't ever talk to me about how many people are or are not here ever again. I told you I'd be with you. Okay, so when he speaks, I lock on like an eagle to a fish in the water. I am locked on, I'm not letting go. I want this for you. We could have called this message, you have zero percent chance, part two. Because if you don't hear God's voice, I do not like your odds. I don't, this is why he made it so easy to hear his voice as his children, because we need it. You know you're obsessed with his word when you lean on it more than you lean on Fox News, more than you lean on what somebody's telling you on social media. David said, when pressure and stress bear down on me, I've chosen to go after his word. Here's the third thing. You know you're obsessed with God's word when you memorize God's word. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, some of us see scripture memorization as something children do in children's church. Let me give you a different way to see this. The memorization of scripture is something lovers do, not just learners. Let me give you a different way to see scripture memorization. Memorization is the intimate act of remembering something important. Let me use an example. If you went up to my wife after the service and you said, how did Preston propose to you? Here's what I think would happen. She would quote you the verses I quoted to her when I went down on one name. Now to my knowledge, I had never heard her quote those words before. To my knowledge, I don't think she had them memorized those verses in Ruth, Ruth until I proposed to her. Why did she memorize those verses in Ruth? Because those verses represent, it's like a memorial stone that helps her remember a holy moment between me, her, and the God of the universe. This is scripture memorization at its best. When you're, I'm not saying there's something wrong with just rote memorization. What I'm saying is connect holy moments with the Lord to the verses he gave you in that moment. This is why you should always take your your Bible into the presence of the Lord because you never know. He may say, hey, open up here today. I'm not talking about blind scriptural roulette. I'm talking about when he says, in the middle of the night, he wakes me up and he says, 1234 in the morning, Preston, get up, grab your Bible, go into the living room. I want you to tell you what the name of my church is going to be. Go to Hosea chapter two. I'll never forget. Hosea chapter two, verse 15. It was a holy moment between me and the Lord where he said, I will turn a valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I wish I could tell you, I knew of that verse before that moment. I did not. But I'll never forget it. Okay, I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you don't have any verses memorized. What I'm trying to say is make it more romantic than religious. Take verses as memorial stones that commemorate holy moments between you and God. You wanna hear his voice? Memorize it. You think he's gonna go crickets on somebody who is so obsessed with his voice that they memorize the words he has spoken? For you to go where God is leading you to go, you've got to have his voice. Here's what I personally believe. That the ultimate cheat code on this earth is the ability to hear the voice of God. I think it's an unfair fight. He's the one who knows the end from the beginning. He's the one who has all power in heaven and on earth. He wants to speak with you every single day of your life. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.